Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. Come in, hang your slickers, park your wellies, leave your bumper shoots in the hall, shake yourselves off and settle down in warm, dry comfort. Welcome to the nook, to Tales to Terrify, to the first week you are able to click that button on the Tales to Terrify site and actually order Tales to Terrify Volume 1, the which I hope you will do. I do, I do. The I in that sentence before is Lawrence Santoro, and even with a raging sinus storm in his head, he welcomes you to this week's gathering. The wind is still a little howly out there, but in here, uh, in here we're safe, we're warm, we're dry. Warm beverages are to be had, snacks to be snacked upon. And I am sorry, Halloween has passed us. I wish the eve could be tonight, but as with most of the storm, that too has passed, and as predicted, no disguised tots rang our bell on All Hallows' Eve and threatened tricks in lieu of treats. Ah, well, we were ready for them. So, you are buying Tales to Terrify, Volume 1, yes you are, and if you are among those who have not... I would tell you to go, amend your ways. Go, click on that lovely green Buy the Book button on the Tales to Terrify site and on the Starship Sofa site. Go, buy it, read it, gift it. It's all about telling tales, it is. Now, if you're a regular here at Tales to Terrify, you probably realize that I talk a lot. I've been trying to explain that urge to tell scary tales in print or in person. Here's one reason. I, uh, I was almost nine years old, and I was already given to the joys of being terrified by night. I had long since embraced our old houses, squeaks and creaks, and once, once a cricket got behind the wall in the stairway to the second floor, the noise was bigger than just a cricket which mother, father, grandfather assured me that it was, but if bigger, who knew how big? And who knew if it was that big, what might it really be back there in the wall? Would it eat its way to my room? Could it chew wires, make lights, radio, refrigerator, make everything stop, go black, go quiet? Would the house catch fire? Could it... Well, of course it could. I was that kind of kid. 
I told Hebhart, Mahler, Johnny Keegan, Missy and Trissy, the talking magpies, they were so named for two cartoon birds we were all very fond of, said crickets were good things, things that brought luck. They knew this because their father had been in the Orient after the war. No one thought a cricket in the wall was scary by itself, but they did like, or seemed to like, my exaggerations. My mother would have called them that. My story of death-bringing crickets? They all liked my lie. Hold that thought. Let me tell you about the playground at Third and Spring. Summers, where we lived, you either threw a ball back and forth in the alley and the two witches who lived down the way put curses on you, or you climbed the mountain and looked down over the city, or you hung out over the railroad switching yards, or you went to Third and Spring Playground, and the big guys pounded on you for being lousy at real games. Luckily, the playground had upper and lower levels. The lower featured a half-dozen baseball diamonds and a bunch of big kids with bats. If you were the kid who got pounded on, you stayed in the upper part. The upper level had swings, slides seesaws, a little whirling-around thing, and a field house. Swings were good. Seesaws, so-so. The go-round was great if you got someone to lie down with his head hanging over the edge, and then you spun him faster and faster until you let him jump off. He staggered around, then he puked. That was good. The field house was just a pavilion, but uh, for bureaucratic reasons, it had to be called a field house, I suppose. It had a low A-frame roof, perfect for roof ball, at which I actually was good. But the place itself was usually filled with kids making lanyards, potholders, clay things, the use of which we could never figure out. We called these people girls, and some of them were. At the end of summer, when all the potholders and lanyards anyone would ever need in life had been made, the upper playground's monitor, a pretty woman of advancing years, she was in the end of her teens, perhaps, she decided to fill the last week of vacation with a storytelling contest. There would be prizes. Hebhart, Mahler, and the magpies urged me to jump in, possibly on the strength of my cricket story, but who knows— I didn't want to. I wasn't nervous. Uh, I had long ago gotten over nerves about such things. My mother habitually posed me on the piano bench during parties and nudged me to recite The Raven, Paul Revere's Ride, A Visit from St. Nicholas at Christmas, with gestures, voices, faces, the works. It was just that... Well, okay. Let's be honest. I had something of a preteen crush on the monitor. In fact, I did every year. This yearly loss of my heart to a succession of women with whistles on lanyards and in uniform, dark green collots, short-sleeved white cotton shirts, became a regular part of summer until I was actually old enough to date a playground monitor, after which my attraction to them seemed to fade. But at this time, my love for... Her, this one in particular, was in full blossom. Anyway, I agreed to get in the contest. Now, I couldn't just get up here and declaim, the boy stood on the burning deck. No, 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 this was to be a story of one's own, your own life stuff, or a really big fib. So said the pretty woman in charge. The cricket in the wall wouldn't do. Neither did most things that had ever happened to me in life. The most interesting stuff in my life was stuff I was afraid of. I was afraid of a lot of things, and I made a list. Dragons, getting turned around in bed, thousand-leggers, uh, things at the end of the alley where the alley light didn't light, not knowing how to get to the bathroom, cat pistols, snakes, pineapples, balloons, spiders, having to take a driving test some day went on and on, and Hebart added some of his terrors to the list. Mahler, too. Keegan wasn't afraid of anything. He was about ready to descend to the lower level, so he just kept quiet. The magpies, though, were afraid of witches, the ones down at the end of the alley in particular, because they lived next door to them, and they knew what kind of stuff they really did, those witches. Well, I took my list and started writing began a tale about a band of adventurers who were walking around Europe, climbing mountains and looking at the cities down below. And one day, 
one day they came to a castle. And the story wound on about the snake king who commanded the castle. He had a dragon there, of course. The castle was full of spiders and witches and had dark places where the walls moved and chirped and turned round. There were thousand-leggers, too, and there might have been balloons and pineapples. I don't remember, but it was great. I was proud. And came the day my summer beloved had a clipboard and was surrounded by the lanyard and potholder people. She called the others up one at a time. The others did their dumb stories. Then her pencil touched my name on her list. She smiled and said, Is this something real or something you made up? Oh, this is real. I said, in as creepy a voice as I could manage at eight or nine, this really happened to me and Hebhart. Yeah, Mahler was there too. That's Mahler, the kid next door, not the ink-black cat of the nook. I don't know why I said it was real. I could just as easily have said that I made it up, but the tale-teller in the story was a brave, strong, interesting fellow, so I suppose I considered it part of an overall sales campaign. As I read—no, let me correct that. Uh, before I read, the faces around me, their waiting eyes, the knowledge that they existed— and were about to hear the things that were there written down in my book, made it very clear to me that the thing I had put on paper was not good, far beyond. It was dumb, monumentally dumb, as dumb as potholders and lanyards, the plot, the grammar, the pictures. Yes, I had illustrated the thing. Even my reading would be dumb. It was Oh, it was. My character, me, suddenly had an English accent. I, I don't know. I guess I thought it would make me more interesting. Less than a minute into it, and I realized this was not as dumb as the others. It was hugely worse. It was awful. It stank on ice, as Uncle Jim used to say of things that were monumentally suspect. This was me, Larry standing in front of the girl of my dreams and making another fool of myself. And I gave up. Well, I gave up reading the thing. I, I closed the book and put it down, and I just told the story, the facts, just the facts, as I remembered them from my times climbing our mountain and of my times seeing the shine of black water bugs skitter across the basement floor, feeling the chill of a garter snake wrinkling through the yard. I looked at the lady with the clipboard. I looked her in the eyes, and I whispered it all to her. And something happened. What? A connection. The accent dissolved the story. The story, well, did not improve, but something, something was better. I finished. Applause. It was polite. Smiles from the woman and a check mark on her clipboard. The chums were polite. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, 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 it was all right. The magpies asked, what happened? It was really good there for a little bit. Then it got, well, you know, I don't know, different. It kind of all went away, and you just... <sighs> I'd been lost, I guess. Well, I won something. I think it was first prize, but I, I don't remember what first prize was. A potholder or lanyard or something. I, I did not get a kiss from the monitor, which was the prize I had half hoped it would be. And in a week, she was gone from my world. Hebhart, though, Hebhart always liked that story, the snake king in the castle. And the others, minus Keegan, of course, asked me to read it again several times. They liked the accent and the, the grammar and the pictures. But I never did. I, I never liked it. Never liked it again, as much as when I read it to her eyes. I used to have that story, the notebook. Now I don't. It would probably surprise me if I saw it now, but writing it, telling it, it was worth it. Learning the lesson that a story, a story needs to be given. So, what's the point here? The point is, 
I hope you'll buy our book. It is full of stories given. And as your purchase will help us continue Tales to Terrify, keep the nook open and dusty, it is a gift in return. So, we haven't had any poetry for a while, and we've got a poem this evening. It's not exactly a Halloween piece, but it does image one of the season's favorite critters. It's by Paisley Rectal, and it is called... Bats. Bats unveil themselves in dark. They hang, each a jagged silken sleeve from moonlit rafters bright as polished knives. They swim the muddled air and keen like supersonic babies, the sound we imagine empty wombs might make in women who can't fill them up. A clasp, a scratch, a sigh. They drink fruit dry and wheel against feverish light flung hard upon their faces in circles that nauseate. Imagine one at breast or neck, patterning a name in driblets of iodine that spatter your skin stars. They flutter, shake like mystics. They materialize, revelatory as a stranger's underthings found tossed upon the marital bed. You tremble even at the thought. Asleep, you tear your fingers and search the sheets all night. Thank you for that. Paisley Rectal grew up in Seattle, Washington. She is the daughter of a Chinese-American mother and a Norwegian father. I mention that only because I think that blending of the races is significant in her work. Have a look at her book, Innocent, an American family photo album, for instance. Miss Rectal earned a B.A. from the University of Washington, an M.A. from the University of Toronto's Center for Medieval Studies, and an M.F.A. from the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. She is the author of the book of essays, The Night My Mother Met Bruce Lee, Observations on Not Fitting In, that was in 2000, and the poetry collections A Crash of Rhinos, 2000, Six Girls Without Pants, 2002, and The Invention of the Kaleidoscope in 2007, from which came tonight's poem, Bats. She is the recipient of a National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship, a Village Voice Writers on the Verge Award, a Contemporary Poetry Series Award from the University of Georgia Press, a Fulbright Fellowship, a Wyoming Council of the Arts Fellowship, and the Lawrence Goldstein Poetry Prize from Michigan Quarterly Review. As mentioned, her hybrid memoir with pictures called Intimate, an American Family Photo Album, is out and I do recommend it. And most recently, a poetry collection called Animal Eye. Bat was read for us tonight, yes, yes, I know, you know, by Tecilia Santoro. Tecilia is a teacher of French, an artist, and a poet. Thank you, Tecilia. Fiction. Fiction tonight is by Paul Jessup. Paul tells me... He does not exist. So, with that thought in mind, here is The Secret in the House of Smiles. Jack cut up pictures of girls with thin razors and then glued the most pleasing body parts together onto a single white sheet of paper. A leg, snip. An arm, snip. Eyes, snip. Perfect hair, snip. And then the assemblage. Glue spread across the floor and the sound of glossy pages being stuck and unstuck together like Velcro and leather. The trance was finally broken when the door burst open, slamming against the wood. Jack jumped, but did not stop. Snip, snip, snip. Stick, stick, stick. 
Standing in the doorway was Alice, in a black dress and green-striped stockings. She had her book bag slung over her shoulder. Hey, hot stuff. Want to go vampire hunting with me? I've got a good one. Jack did not turn, did not move. Meditation, concentration, the last sorcerer's apprentice. Alice looked down and saw what Jack was doing. This again? Alice sat down on the floor next to him. Jack did not respond. He had found a page with the perfect waist. She walked over to his dorm window and looked at the campus outside. It looked cold. Dark. Night. The pathways between the buildings were covered in a quilt of red and brown leaves, illuminated by the sparse golden light of the street lamps. Alice sat on his bed. Jack liked seeing her on his bed. Her body accented against the green blanket, pale skin cutting across pine green. Jack screamed. Alice jumped in surprise. He spit. He swore. He pushed the glossy pages across the floor, kicked the half-finished girls in anger, destroying all his work. It's no good. It's no good, he said. I can't do it. I shouldn't have performed that magic trick. It was all wrong. All wrong. Now the pieces are missing. Gone. He looked up at Alice, her staring back with eyes wide and mouth open. Come on, she said. Let's go do something else. I hate it when you get like this. Alice picked up the phone. Some vampire hunting would do them all some good. The walls were red brick and coated with posters. One advertised a local illusionist who was performing for the student government. He wore a top hat and cape, and a wax mustache that curled to either side of his head like a cartoon villain. Doors lined either side, all closed, shut off from the world. The hall was oddly empty, without students loitering or hanging out or talking. In the distance they heard the showers, splashing and laughter. Jack looked at the wall and grabbed a poster. It was a girl in a bunny costume, holding up two connected brass rings. A simple trick, one that jogged Jack's memory. Her ears! Her ears! I feel like I'm back on top again. I can almost see her in my mind, moving in and out of vision like a pale ghost. I have to cut off these ears. They are her perfect ears. Jack rubbed his stale, glue-laced hands together. It sounded like sandpaper grating. It will only take a second. Just let me cut off her ears and shove them into my pocket. Come on, pretty please. Come on. Alice tossed the poster to the ground and glanced up and down the hallways. No one was here. This didn't feel right. Hurry up, she said, before someone sees us. Eagerly, Jack reached down and pulled out his razor. Snip, snip. A perfect ear for his pocket, shaped like a conch shell. Okay, let's go. They walked briskly down the hall, their footsteps echoing to the sound of the rushing water and bathing. Jenny sat on a large orange beanbag chair. Her legs crossed and her eyes staring at a large, flat-screen television as she had on the facing wall. A circus show, with the artistic clowns prancing about and bemoaning on the nature of existentialism. One threw a pie at the other and proclaimed all actions absurd. Jenny wore a dirty purple shirt, stained with ketchup and grease. Her hair was piled above her head and tied in a place with twine and wilted flowers. She wasn't wearing any pants, just her underwear and bare legs whittled with shaving scars. She nodded as they walked in. Some fucked up sideshow, she said. Have a seat and watch it with me. They're going to bring out the freaks next. My favorite part is when the geek cuts the Siamese twins in half. It's a hoot. 
They all sat on the floor, facing the large screen television. Alice saw the fridge over in the corner, pushed up against the wall. It opened from the top, like a trapdoor to a stage. She heard it humming from across the room. A living thing that sung to her, calling to her stomach. Jenny put her arm around Jack. Hey, sweetie, want to do me a favor? Jack laughed. Sure, he said. Go and get me a beer from the fridge, and maybe take out a pizza and put it into the microwave. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You guys hungry? Thirsty? Want a beer or something? They all grumbled, sure. Yeah, of course. Good idea, Jenny said. And Alice? Stop looking at my legs. Got it? These are not for you. I've already told you that you're not my type. Alice laughed, a tittering hee-hee-hee-hee laugh that was on the verge of mania. She watched as Jack walked over to the fridge. He wore a long yellow raincoat. Alice thought he looked silly, like a giant bumblebee detective. The television twins howled, and there was a sound of tearing meat. Oh, Jenny said, this is my favorite part. It always gets me hot, watching them tear these girls apart. Damn, I'm so horny. Alice turned her face from the television and looked directly at Jenny keeping her eyes on Jenny's round and acne-scarred face. Did I ever tell you my major? Jenny scoffed. Do I even know you? You just came along with the boy. Why do you think I care about you? Alice was unfazed. She had done this a thousand times. Come on, she said. Take a guess. Jenny sighed. I'm missing the best part. I don't care. Just guess. Jenny tried to hide her anger. Quantum physics? You look like a super geek. Alice pointed to her nose. Exactly, but not quite. It's a branch of quantum physics. I'm a vampire hunter. Now Jenny was interested. She turned off her television and turned her gaze to Alice. A vampire hunter? What does that have to do with quantum physics? Alice put her finger to her lip and chewed on the calluses as she spoke. Well, it's kind of like a vampire observer, really. You see, reality is in a binary state, right? You can be alive, or you can be dead. One or the other. Vampires, on the other hand, are a superposition of both states. They are both and neither at the same time, like a supernatural Schrodinger's cat. Jenny inched forward. I don't get it. So vampires are what? Superposit... 
What? What does that have to do with anything? Superposition. See, in quantum computing, a G-bit can hold three states, while a regular bit holds two. The third state is actually all states and no states at the same time. It's kind of like the inverse of zero. Vampires are the same way. They are a G-bit. Now Alice was excited. She reached over and grabbed Jenny's hands. Her hands were cold. Her eyes were red. Unperturbed, Alice moved on. So, the only way you can tell what a quantum particle is is by observing it. When you observe it, then it tells you what state it is in. But it changes depending on how you observe it. Isn't that wild? That's why I'm a vampire observer. I perform tests to see if the state of something living could also be dead. If they are just living, or just dead, then they aren't quantum vampires. If they are living with the possibility of being dead, then they are vampires. Jenny frowned. I don't get it. Jack put a pizza into the microwave and turned it on, and tossed a beer at Jenny. Jenny quickly spun around and grabbed it. Thanks, she said. It's crazy, I know. But here, if I have a mirror and I hold it up to you, and you don't reflect, I am performing a test. I am observing you. And if you have the possibility of being a vampire, then you would not have a reflection. Like this. Alice held up a small makeup mirror. No reflection. No reflection. Jenny ran out of the room screaming. Jack hummed and rocked back and forth. Hummed like the freezer in Jenny's apartment. He then darted beneath his bed and pulled out his little perfect pile of magazine parts and glue. Jack ignored Alice. She did not exist to him. She tried to get his attention. Had been trying all day, all night, for the past month. He had an ear to a fix. He wanted to use his special glue stick for this. It was black and white, like a magic wand. Stick, stick, stick. Watched him drool over the perfect ear. No, she did not know why she was still with him. Maybe it was convenience? Jack screamed. He threw the razor against the ground and scattered the pictures. The ear is wrong. Wrong. I thought I had seen her. A glimpse again. But no. Fading. Fleeting. A mist. It's gone. I need to put her back together again. The trick went south. He turned and looked at Alice. There was an audience, you know. They watched the whole thing. Yet no one knew what really happened. And she was smiling the whole time. Alice did her nervous laugh. Titter, titter, titter. Come on, Jack. You're just worked up, is all. Take a breath. Forget about it all for a moment. You need to relax a little. Jack rubbed his hands together. Stuck pieces of magazine parts grinding. Arm and leg and stomach and mouth. Pushing and rubbing between his hands in an orgy of glossy body parts. I know of a secret. Hidden in the house of smiles. Alice leaned forward. Yeah? What's that? House of smiles? Jack crawled under his bed. His head and waist disappeared under the mattress. Legs wiggled as he searched. They heard plastic boxes moving. Alice looked at the floor and glanced at Jack to see what he was doing. More things moving. How could he be taking so long? There was barely any space underneath their beds. Jack scurried out from under his bed. He had a shoebox covered in a plastic bag. He removed the bag, pulling the box out. It was decorated with pictures of rabbits running 
and a picture of a fox stalking in the green pine trees. Here, Jack said proudly. Here it is. Here, here, here. She smiled like a saw. Big teeth, cutting things apart. The last of the great stage performers. Queen vampire. In hidden stasis. Alice leaned over. Jack pulled off the lid. Inside was a diorama. Careful, tiny little pieces collected together. Handmade, hand-painted. Perfect little pine trees. Perfect little cabin. With a large cartoonish smile painted on the side. And behind, bathed in a cold blue winter light, was a perfect tiny freezer chest. Closed and gray and filthy. Excited, Jack turned over the lid. There was a map. Where is this at? Alice asked. Jack pointed, moved his finger, made humming sounds like a low flying plane. Not far. Just the woods outside of the university. We could walk there from here. There was a shack and all these abandoned apple trees, a whole orchard left to rot in misery. Whoever owned it must have left in a hurry. Alice grunted. Good, she said. Let's get going, then. I can collect everything we need and get going. Jack shook his head, slamming the book shut. No, not yet. We can't go yet. Now it was Alice's turn to have a headache. She just couldn't live life like this, always on the edge of some strange madness. Why not? she asked, exhausted. Jack pointed at the mismatched photographs. Because she's not finished yet. I have to remember her. I have to love her. Then we can go back. Then we can use the freezer. Alice slouched her shoulders, resigned. Okay, she said. All right, Jackie boy. Let's construct your perfect girl, shall we? And then... Then what? We go to the woods? Jack pounded his fists into the floor, drumming the wood. He spoke as he drummed. You don't understand. Ghosts are more important than food. Ghosts are more important than anything. If you forget them, they are erased. Stolen. Vanished. Faceless things looking for masks in the rain. You cannot deny me this. You cannot deny her this. Ghosts are more important than vampires, than dreams, than water or light. And the ghosts of the saw are the hardest to please. Half-finished ghosts, covered in smiles and torn apart. When he stopped drumming, they sat in silence for a minute. Fuck, Jackie, Alice said. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. She helped him find posters, find magazines. She cut with him and glue with him. And he is happy because he's starting to see her again. In the glimpse of still life, he caught her. Caught her in fleeting moments, flying and trying to escape. Alice didn't know it. But she helped Jackie O. Jack perform a bit of magic. Perform a bit of, now you see me, now you don't. This was a special kind of magic. Backwards magic. Most magicians were in the art of taking things apart. Taking things away. Making them disappear and cut into tiny pieces. Not Jack. No. The Jack man had a plan. A new kind of trick. He was going to put someone back together, reverse that saw, take the blades out and piece her back together again. Now you don't see me. Now you do. And she would be happy. She would be thankful. And she would say she forgave him and say that he wouldn't have to be sorry or feel guilty anymore. That was okay, what he did all those years ago. But she was happier now, better now, 
in a place where queens and puppets dance, and she would be whole again. They each had pockets filled with pieces, photograph slices, body parts, and different snatches of text that Jackie Jack man thought would come in handy. Special words, magic words printed on the page but not to be spoken aloud. When spoken aloud, they lose their magic. Out past the university, the lights in the tower's dim glows behind them now, like distant earth stars, slowly going supernova and fading out. Pine trees, from his dream, know his memory. They surrounded them. Sticky, they smelled of sap. The knotted and spiny branches webbed around them, catching them. Claustrophobic. Leaves plastered to their feet with mud. In the distance, they heard dogs barking in the cold, and Alice shrieked. Jack did not care. Let Alice scream. Alice reached over and held his face. Her lips were like wet pomegranates. He smelled the seeds on her. Very slowly, she said, I think we are being followed. Do you understand? We are being followed by someone. I think it is Jenny. Vampire Jenny. Jack nodded, but didn't care. He kept walking. He was laying seeds along the ground, and everyone would have to come. Follow. Follow. Alice and Jenny. Jenny and Alice. The seeds were enchanted, stolen and ready to eat. They would have no choice. Follow. Follow. To the House of Smiles. Here was the place, the memory hole. The memory hole. The whole thing. The shack. Gray shack. Shingles broken and smashed. Dead shack. Undead shack. Shack like a home brought back from the dead. Windows were holes. Eyes like empty caves. Big smile painted on the side. Cheshire smile. Haunted smile. Ghost smile. Welcome. Welcome, it said. Welcome to the House of Smiles. Jack had a cape. Where did he get the cape from? Nobody knows but Jackie. So they laid the food down and asked him, Now what? Open the freezer. Let us store the food so it doesn't go bad. Ah, Jackie thought. Serendipity. Everything fit together now. Open your pockets, he commanded in his best magician voice. Boomed. Thunder. Crackle, crackle. They opened the pockets and let the cut pieces flutter around like butterflies, like broken and dead leaves. He opened the freezer with a flourish and a ta-da, and a wave of the magic wand. Inside, inside, her. His wife, his bride, his eternal thing, vampire goddess, queen of the house of smiles, cut up, wrapped in plastic, each piece, each part, crammed in, but some parts were missing, some parts were always missing. He hated that, how could he remember her with all the parts missing, sawed off and stolen? The trick that went south. The two-sharp saw, grinning as it cut into her, and her, all smiles the whole time, even in that pain. The audience applauding. And then her asking him, Jackie, please, please put me back together again. She whispered it as she smiled, teeth together. He wanted to stop sawing. That, Jackie-O did. He wanted to. But his hands had momentum, and they kept pushing, and he had no choice but to keep cutting, 
keep cutting as the crowd applauded. The pages fluttered, stuck and unstuck. They flew over and stitched themselves onto parts, stitched everything together. The missing pieces made whole out of magazine skin and magazine eyes and magazine faces. The body rose slowly from the freezer chest tomb. The body was her, his first bride, his first love, the sorcerer's last apprentice. She was dressed in plastic, the distorted clear making her even more real in the moonlight. And he saw her whole now, made whole by the plastic pages, living, alive, queen of the House of Smiles. He danced with her, danced while Alice sharpened a stake, danced while Alice pulled out holy water, danced while Alice prepared for war, danced while Jenny and all the others came out of the shadows. Hundreds of them, pale-faced creatures of the night, awaiting to worship their queen. Paul Jessup says that he does not exist. That non-existence is highly overrated, and the statement of non-existence fits nicely into the world of Paul's work, which is experimental, surreal, and sometimes seems to live within a dream. Confidentially, he does exist. He is, in fact, a critically acclaimed writer of fiction. He's been published in many magazines, offline and on. He's published four books. Beware the Glass Rabbit was published by Six Gallery Press in 1999. In 2000, Angel Wings and Finer Things was published by Six Gallery. In 2008, a short novel, Open Your Eyes, was published by Apex Books. And in 2009, P.S. Publishing published his short story collection, Glass Coffin Girls. In 2010, Chronicle Books published the illustrated Werewolves, a journal of transformation. So, while Paul denies his existence, he seems to simply like his readers to discover him. Jacob Boris, who read The Secret in the House of Smiles tonight, is the number two son of four of Mike Boris. Mike is, well, Mike is Mike. A narrator, recording engineer, raconteur, starship sofa, drabblecast, escape pod reader, and all round... Ah, well, this is about Jacob. Jacob Boris is a telecom, radio, and TV production major at Indiana University. He is a multi-year state speech competition finalist with a focus on humorous interpretation. Jacob is excited about his first real foray into the world of narration. He is still in the My Voice Sounds Like That phase of his career, and so many of us still are. I know I am. But he says he enjoys the opportunity, nonetheless. As a token word of wisdom, Jacob says that we should save the planet— it's the only one with bacon. And when I ask Jacob's dad if he's comfortable with his number two son reading the dark and drear things he might find here in the nook, he says that, yes, I let him read whatever he wants, as long as he doesn't smoke it. Anyway, thank you, Jacob, Eagle Scout, runner, pole vaulter, and James T. Kirk imitator with the Hugo weaving eyebrows. Thank you, and we hope to have you back. And that, children of the night, is that. As I say, I apologize for not arranging for Halloween to fall on this eve, when we're all here gathered in the nook, huddling together in the wake of Hurricane Sandy and her mixed bag of tropical storm and blowing blizzard. So I would have you be up and doing, bright and chipper. Be off, and I hope. You will take care as you are homeward bound tonight. 
The storm is over, but there can be some surges and sash waves. The lake can be tricky, you know. It can lie there, quietly lapping the sand. The moon can shine on silver-smooth waters. Then, then suddenly, the water can rise, rise, and continue rising until it passes the sand, the beach, until it overwashes the paths and parkway. It can keep rising in the moon, rising still silver-smooth, until it engulfs the night in silence. Then, just as silently, it can retreat, taking with it all that it had briefly covered, cat, dog, rat, and human, and leave them all at the bottom of what might be, for some, a very pleasant dream. Hmm? This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Districtofwonders.com Thank you for listening.